0: Amen. Please take your seats. It gives me great delight again this evening to welcome another friend to this pulpit, and no, no stranger to many of you. Uh, Stephen and I go way back. I knew Stephen when I was a student for the ministry in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Northern Ireland, and Stephen at that stage was the minister in Rich Hill in uh, County Armagh, and since then, he has he left the pastoral ministry, full time pastoral ministry, and is now an itinerant for the Christian Witness to Israel, which goes way back to the ministry of Robert Murray McSheehan. Many of you know through your daily Bible readings, and McSheehan uh, did that famous uh, exploratory work in Israel back in the 19th century. And when he was away in Israel, of course, God uh, used the ministry of William Chambers Burns, a young student for the ministry in Dundee where McShane pastored to bring revival to the church, and McShane famously gave thanks to God that while he was away, revival came to the church, which was amazing. The church was full when he came back. People were sitting on the on the steps up to the pulpit. There were no room in the pews. It's a great delight, Stephen, to have you with us this evening. We look forward to you bringing the Word of God just now, and then afterwards at our meal, giving us our missionary moment this month, and talking about the work God's doing through CWI in America. So welcome. Please come and uh, bring the Word of God. And if you're visiting with us this evening, please do come as our guest to our meal this evening. There should be plenty of Bojangles chicken, I hear, um, for you all to enjoy. Thank you, Stephen.
1: Well, thank you again for having me. Thank you, Neil. Yes, our friendship goes uh, way back to those days, and I I think I shared uh, with some of the folks that we have a photo uh, of our living room in Rich Hill with Hannah, like about age two or three or something like that, Uh, along with our now 26-year-old daughter, uh, they were playing together. Uh, So uh, our paths have uh, crossed through the years, and it's just been a delight to be with Neil, in your various ministries, in Yazoo City, and then Savannah, uh, and now here. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity that Neil gives to me. Um, Neil has been here probably twice. Well, I'm thinking in the U.S. You have been here about twice as long as I have, but you've got twice as strong a Northern Irish accent as I have. (laughs) So, I'm losing it. He seems to be gaining it. But he obviously teaches you um, the the, uh, the language I'm tempted to say the language of heaven no but that that's heresy right there but he uh, he teaches you to understand Northern Irish uh, accent but uh, as I travel I'm I'm certainly losing that accent yes indeed I hope you can stay and uh, hear a little bit more of the work um, I'm just um, back or I've just moved on from last weekend preaching in Pittsburgh at a PCA church in, in Pittsburgh, and following that, we had street evangelism uh, on the streets of Pittsburgh with my colleague uh, in ministry, Mitch Tepper. Uh, he's a full-time missionary in Pittsburgh uh, for Christian Witness to Israel, and so I want to share just a little bit about that in the, in the after meeting, and also uh, perhaps a little bit of um, my colleague, David Zadok in Israel, who is going to come And visit Arkansas, God willing, this fall, this uh, September, and just a little bit of what uh, he is doing in the in the ministry there. Uh, So those two areas, and perhaps a few other areas, I want to share this evening for prayer. Uh, Maybe even if we have an opportunity, a few minutes of Q and A, we can do that as well. Um, So again, also there's a lot of material that I usually have in the foyer, um, but it's all in the, the fellowship hall. It's all. Uh, already set out there, so don't miss that uh, as you are leaving. There's a, a ton of material that I want to. I'll refer to that also uh, in the after meeting. But well, for now, let's turn to God's Word, and uh, I want to take up just very familiar, and specifically very familiar for uh, Jewish mission, uh, the chapter 11 of, of Romans, but to focus in on a few sections. And so, will you turn with me to Romans 11? And we'll read, first of all, from 11 through 15, uh, then 23 to 27, and then just 30 and 31 to conclude. So, Romans 11, 11 through 15, let us hear the word of God. So I ask then, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And then moving down to verse 23. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut out from a cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And then verse 30 and 31, just to conclude, just as you were at one time disobedient to God but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have not been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. Amen. May the Lord bless to us His holy and infallible Word. I want to first of all ask a question, and it's probably more addressed to the men, although it's indeed addressed to all of us. Are you a procrastinator? Do you put off things? Are there jobs in your home that never get done? I'm not going to really try and start a few family squabbles here. But do you live by the principle, don't do today what you can do tomorrow? <laughs> I'm no handyman. I don't know if Neil knows that, but my wife knows that. I am no handyman. About nine years ago, when we, we moved over here ten years ago, and about nine years ago, maybe even nine and a half years ago, I put a hole in our garage wall by accident. Plaster board. It's now hidden behind a couple of boxes. Um, at the end of my yard, there's a couple of bricks off the pillar. It's away at the end of the yard, a couple of bricks off the pillar, and there are several little electrical jobs that need done around our house that my wife would not let me go near. Why, why should I do some jobs and why not others? Why do some jobs not get done? Am I a procrastinator? For me, I have three excuses. I have no sight, if it's behind the boxes. I have no sense, it's away at the bottom of the yard, and I have no skills with regard to the electrics. Why do I bring that up as an opening illustration? Well, I want to talk today about a job that's given to the church. A task unfinished that we entitled the sermon. The job that's given is Jewish mission, Gentiles. And I believe perhaps our lack of getting the job done is sight, sense, and skills. Unfinished, a task unfinished. I don't know if you sing that hymn. I don't know if it's in your book, but I'm sure you would know it from Northern Ireland. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. Maybe we should have had that and and sung that in conclusion, but that's a good hymn uh, if you do have it. So, I'm going to draw attention to three portions from Romans 11 from which we can address our sight problem, our sense problem, and our skill problem and because I'm Northern Irish, I'm going to do it in reverse order. (laughs) I'm going to start at verses 30 and 31, and then work my way back. So, verses 30 and 31, we read them, and I want to entitle this section, Our Debt and Our Duty. And one of the reasons why I gave you McShane's uh, sermon on our duty to Israel is just that. It's a good summary of what our Gentile churches' responsibility is to the Jewish people, our duty to Israel is to bring the gospel to them. Indeed, Neil gave you a good history lesson about William Chalmers Burns and the, and the revival that took place. And one of the things that McShane says even in that sermon is that it is so wonderful that Genesis 12.3 was applying to Scotland. What's Genesis 12.3? I will bless those who bless you. Now there are televangelists that will tell you to send in your millions of dollars towards buying a tree for Israel or doing whatever these funny things that they want you to do, and you will be blessed financially. That's not what Genesis twelve three is all about. But McShane understood Genesis twelve three that as the Church of Scotland was blessing Israel, God blessed with revival. In the Church of Scotland in 1839. So, our duty to Israel, our debt, and our duty to Israel is the first heading I want to bring fo- before us. Again, those of you who have studied Romans, and I'm sure Neil has taken you through all the chapters, I trust, and if not, no doubt he will at some point and probably take four years over it, I don't know. But Romans is a wonderful theological. Um, setting forth the gospel in all its richness. It's all its theological richness. But when you come through to 9 through 11, you have specific chapters on Jewish mission. Well, what's all that about? Well, it would appear that the theological climax of Romans is chapter 11, that God is not finished with the ancient people, and indeed the mercy that He has shown to the, the Goyim. Can you imagine that the, the, the Jewish apostle in his uh, in first century life thinking, what, Lord, you, you, you're taking the message of the Messiah to, to the Goyim, to, to the unclean pagan nations? Yes, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even unto the ends of the earth. That must have been a real stumbling block to the apostle to get into his head that this wondrous message of salvation was going to go to the goyim. Well, now we have it, the goyim have it, the Jewish people have missed it largely, and it's payback. It's our turn. It is us bringing it back to them, So we read in 3031, just as you were at one time disobedient, we were the pagan world. We were living in darkness. My Scots-Irish ancestors were in total darkness when the apostle, when the Jewish people had the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, in the temple. They had the revelation of the one true God. My Scots-Irish ancestors were dancing around stone. But when we were disobedient, we were at one time disobedient, verse 30, but now we've received mercy because of their disobedience. But that's not the end. So they too have not been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you that they may receive mercy. You see, the the whole drama of redemption is that their loss became riches for us. We'll come to that in a moment. But that's not the end of the story. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And then they largely missed it. But throughout all the ages, God has preserved His gospel largely among the Gentile nations. But now it's our turn, the task unfinished, to bring the gospel back to them. The skills. What are the skills? Well, it's simply exhibiting the grace and mercy of God in your life to the lost, and in particular to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Gentiles, we are indebted to the Jewish people. Under God, we have received salvation through the Jewish people. Salvation is of the Jews. The book is Jewish. The man is Jewish. The message is Jewish. The first missionaries were Jewish. Under God, we have received. We are indebted to them. I was recently down in, not, well, not so recently, but a few months ago down in South Florida, and I was with Mitch, my colleague, and I, we, we took his dad, who is a 97-year-old Jewish atheist, Mitch's dad lives in Delray Beach, Florida. We took him out to dinner. His dad wanted to pay, and I said, no, sir, I'm paying. I said, as a Gentile, I want to thank you, because salvation is of the Jews. And I want to express on behalf of Gentiles our thankfulness. You know nothing of this. You don't know the Savior. You don't know your Messiah. But nonetheless, I want to bless you and thank you. You see, us Gentiles, we were far off. We were strangers, Ephesians 2, to the covenants, to the promises. And we are indebted because we have received mercy, and so we give thanks to God for them. Gentile church, you have a duty by the mercy shown to you to show them mercy. I have a duty to do my household jobs, but I don't have the skills, particularly the electrical ones. <laughs> and so most times, if you have a, a job to get done, you will outsource it. You'll know this phrase, Neil and Catherine, you'll know that we, we, uh, for, the, for the wee jobs around the house, you get a wee man. Now, if I can translate that, that doesn't mean you get a a, a small man. (laughs) You get a man for the wee jobs, for the small tasks that are to be done around the house. So, we outsource. We do not outsource mission. And one of the things I want to stress, and, and you know this, I trust from me and my own theology and ecclesiology, we are not the missionary society that you have outsourced. In other words, well, you guys are the experts, you've got the skills, so you go and do the job and we'll just pay for it. That is not mission. There is no outsourcing mission to missionary societies. Can I read a portion from Table Talk magazine in April? I'm sure you have it. But I I commend it to you to go back and read the April Table Talk, which has an article, an excellent article, on Reformed world missions in practice. Let me read just a, a portion or two of it. As Reformed believers, we are or ought to be convinced that the Reformed faith is the biblical faith, that a true church is a Reformed church. And the Reformed practice is true Christian practice. If we're not convinced, first and foremost, that to be Reformed is to be biblical and vice versa, we will never consistently apply Reformed principles to anything, least of all the way we labor to fulfill the Great Commission. What are the most important Reformed convictions that are to inform and regulate the way we as Reformed believers and churches engage in world missions? To put it simply, Reformed missions is from the church by the church to the church. I love that. We do not outsource mission. You do not outsource mission to us in CWI. We are in this together. We are an accountable arm of your ministry, of your Christian witness to Israel. And so, we may be on the streets of Pittsburgh We are on the streets of Pittsburgh as your arm on the streets of Pittsburgh. We may be in South Florida. We are there as your arm in South Florida. But then we are also engaged in equipping the church in its own Jewish evangelism. Lacking the skills? Well, let us help. One of the things that I've said is particularly from these verses is that we are just to simply exhibit Christ in all the wonders of His mercy that have been shown to us. One of the greatest barriers to the gospel, as we share it with anyone, is the hardness of the human heart, particularly in the area of spiritual self-sufficiency, works religion. That's that's Judaism today, if they are religious at all. Works religion has been the devil's tactic from Genesis. And so this is a a major challenge to us as we want to share the gospel with everyone, and in particular with our Jewish friends. They have little or no comprehension of divine mercy. So show it, mercy. Mercy. Verses 30 and 31, show it, proclaim it, live it, and make them jealous that you've got shalom. It is well with your soul. I can't remember, brother, whether we got this at at the uh, Twin Lakes Fellowship, but a little uh, gem of a book, a gospel primer for Christians. Milton Vincent says this, what I actually deserve is a full cup of churning with the torments of His wrath. To be handed a completely empty cup from God would be cause enough for infinite gratitude. If there were merely the tiniest drop of blessing contained in that otherwise empty cup, I should be blown away by the unbelievable kindness of God toward me. That God, in fact, has given me a cup that is full of every spiritual blessing in Christ, leaves me dumbfounded, with inexpressible joy. Do you, do you have that? Is, is that your experience of divine mercy? Show it. Proclaim it to Jew and to Greek. Eighty years ago, on the hundredth anniversary of the founding of this ministry, the general secretary wrote in the magazine that the ministry as defined by the founders was to awaken the conscience of the Christian church to the long-neglected duty of Israel's evangelization. And note those words 80 years ago, and in reflecting on 180 years ago, the duty of Christian Gentiles to Israel's evangelization, long-neglected, he's saying, Well, if something was unfinished in 1842 and something was unfinished in 1942, it's still unfinished in 2022, and we are here to awaken the conscience of the Christian church. I want to share perhaps later in the evening uh, a little bit about our AC course. You can find it on our website, our Awakening the Conscience course, where we're seeking to, to train and challenge and assist the church to be the church in Israel, the people. I got the opportunity a few months ago to preach in Boca Raton, and uh, I've shared it elsewhere. But I was way out of my depth. It was a PCA church in Boca Raton, and it was like a four or five thousand member church, and it was it was lights, camera, action. uh, And I was uh, I thought someone was going to come and do my makeup, but no, they they didn't quite do that. But I had lights all around my dressing room. It, It was it was very very pretty. But when I was there, one of the wondrous privileges I had was to preach to a church that was right in the midst of Jewish South Florida. A hundred thousand Jewish people live in Boca Raton. Can we mobilize that church? There's a little small group in that church that one of the elders runs. And it's thousands of members in the church, but a little small group of about a dozen people, and it's entitled Get to Know Your Jewish Neighbor." well, hey, I want to get alongside that dear brother, that elder. Uh, And indeed, after I preached, he said, you know, I've been here 30 years, and that's the first time I've heard a sermon on intentional Jewish evangelism. And I was both saddened and encouraged. But can we mobilize the church in South Florida? If we lack the skills, well, okay, let's, let's look at Scripture together, and let's get burdened, and let's get busy, that we may bring that gospel back to those that brought it to us. We must not outsource mission, but rather we're in it together. So, let's help each other in fixing that hole in the wall lack skills. Second, lack sense, and and by that I mean lack a sense of the mission. For that, I turn our attention to verses 23 to 27 under the heading, God's power and God's plan. God's power and God's plan. Now, there are complex issues here uh, that uh, I'll leave uh, Neil to deal with at another time, so I'm not going to, uh, I trust, get into some of the nitty-gritty and even some of the more controversial verses that are here in verses 23 to 27. But I want to make a few general points just again to to grant us a, a sense of what this is. The Greek text commentator Alford, he entitles this whole section the prophetic announcement that this engrafting shall take place and explanatory justification of the divine arrangement. Let me repeat that. Prophetic announcement that this engrafting shall take place, and explanatory justification of the divine arrangement. I I simplified that to God's power and God's plan, okay? God's power to do this. Is He able to graft them in again? It says it. McShane's Bible did it 1843 that I was privileged to see and even handle a few years ago when I was in Scotland, and I've never washed my hands since. No, that's not it. You can't say that in, in these COVID days. But handling McShane's Bible at Romans 11, and he's got little notes, and, and he's underlined, God is able to graft them in again. And I want us to see the you know, sometimes people think, well, is Jewish mission difficult? Yes, it is, and so is all mission. But God is able, God's power to graft in again those stubborn natural branches. If He has the power to graft me, this goy, into, in an unnatural way, into that cultivated olive tree to be a son of Abraham by faith, if He is able to do that to this Ulsterman, he is able to graft in the natural branches. Now, it is a mystery, but it's not unreasonable. Verse 25 speaks of a partial hardening. What does that mean? Well, it means it's not complete. When some people say, well, God's finished with the Jewish people, they had their chance, they blew it, they missed it, but now he's working with the Gentiles. So sorry, no, no, no. It says partial If we are Calvinists, then we don't believe that God saves us one minute and loses us the next. If God is able to graft them in again, if God has unfinished business with the Jewish people, if God has promises covenantally, as we read in those verses in 26 and 27, this is my covenant with them. Then whatever the stubbornness, whatever the hard-heartedness, it's partial until He removes the veil from their eyes. It's a partial hardening, not a complete hardening. He will soften. He will remove the veil. He will graft in again. It is a supernatural work of God, but He is able. There is God's power. You know how slow we are to believe that God is able to save the Jewish people because of all their stubbornness. And so often we hear in sermons, present company accepted, but so often we hear that these, this stubborn, rebellious house is beyond recovery as compared to the wondrous reception of the gospel by the Gentile world. Read any church history recently where the Gentile world almost lost the gospel for a thousand years until the Lord was gracious again in reviving mercy at the Reformation. And so verse 18 warns us Gentiles against being arrogant against those natural branches. God is able. Note the ease with which the master gardener speaks of their restoration. Gentile salvation is is contrary to nature. Jewish people are the natural branches. And so it was understood from the Reformation onwards. It was restored. Jewish mission was restored from the Reformation onwards. And I know Luther said some awful things, but initially Luther wanted to win the Jews. Where did that come from? It came from a biblical understanding of our obligation to bring the gospel back to the ancient people. Calvin's successors prayed for Jewish mission every Lord's Day. We have a broccoli on our table. The Dutch really got interested in Jewish redemption. As the Reformation spread throughout Europe, Jewish mission was key. Jewish mission was at the forefront of that spread of the gospel. But that is for another time. We want to think of that wondrous grafting in again. And it comes as we read here of the fullness of the Gentiles. And as I was saying earlier, think of how stunning that would be to this this Jewish guy, the the fullness of the Gentiles. But previously, there were just a few proselytes here and there that that joined themselves to the God of Israel. But but a a fullness? What does that fullness mean? Does it mean every last one? You remember Paul writes to the Ephesians and prays that they might know um, or might be filled with the fullness of God, that's not meaning that we are swallowed up into a pagan pantheism. It does not mean a Gnosticism, but it means that, that, that every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. In Ephesians 2, you remember, Paul writes of the church as the fullness of Christ. Well, what does that mean? It's a sense of completion, or, or more accurately, even the, the, the complement, the bride of Christ. So, fullness in Romans 11 is not the sense of totality of individuals, but rather in the sense of totality of nations. It doesn't mean, as, as some preachers and perhaps even those in a dispensational mode think that, well, when the last elect Gentile has come in, then it's Israel's time. I remember hearing a preacher present that as the argument, well, now is not Israel's time. Tell that to the Apostle Paul in the first century when he went to every synagogue under heaven and told his Jewish friends about Jesus. If it's not their time, well, Paul, you were doing something really wrong. Their time is now. Now, it's not some time in the future when the last elect Gentile comes in and then they're whisked away in some rapture. No, get your theology right, and theology affects missiology. But the fullness here is the fullness and sense of every nation under heaven, not just Judea, Samaria, or Italy, or Spain, but those distant Picts and the Vikings, and the Mongols, and the Asians, and the Africans, and the Aztecs, and the Aborigines, and the Indians, and the Indonesians, and the Polish, and the Polynesians. The message of Messiah was going to go to a fullness, that it would be a world religion. That was stunning to Paul. And yes, indeed, some of this thinking moved churches and ministries in the 18th and 19th century to globalize the gospel, praise God for it. This is the power and the plan of God. G.B. Wilson, you will know the little series of commentaries and digest of Reformed, uh, Reformed Digest commentaries. He says this, the gathering into the kingdom of the majority of the elect Gentiles will mark the terminus of Israel's unbelief. Well, that's interesting. In other words, he sees that that there is a sense in which there, when that that fullness, however it may be, and and please, we we don't need to know every last detail, but however that fullness plays out, there will be a change. There will be a a new grafting of the natural branches. So, in 1948, there were 12 Jewish believers in the land of Israel. And in 1968, that 12 was 50. And in 98, 1998, the 50 was 5,000. And today, 2022, there's 30,000 Jewish believers in the land of Israel. Something's happening. But how and, and when this all plays out, please don't try and get the gnosis. And someone will sell you a book and a DVD and tell you how this all plays out. Hodge very wisely says this, Great events are foretold, but the mode of their occurrence, their details, and their consequences can only be learned by the event. In other words, we will know when we will know. We don't need to know before great events, but the detail, we'll know it when it happens. How many books would not have been written if they'd only listened to Hodge, <laughs> permitting a, a lack of knowledge of the detail, but still have a sense of the power and the plan? God is able. This is my covenant with them, when I take away their sins. I lack the sense of those couple of bricks at the end of my yard. It, it, it's at the end of my yard? Mm. Jewish mission might be just at the end of our yard in terms of our thoughts of mission. Well, I want to awaken you. I want to challenge you. I want to reprint these voices from the past of, McShane and, and Bonner and Abrakel and, and many others who had this burden, had this sense. I want to get us this sense again. The church has suffered from spiritual Alzheimer's. It's an awful disease, Alzheimer's. My uncle passed away from Alzheimer's. He was once picked up, lived in Bangor, once was picked up by the police in Hollywood, Northern Ireland, not California. Seven, eight, nine miles away from home. He didn't know where he was. He had wandered off. The church has suffered from a spiritual Alzheimer's. We don't know where we've come from. We don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. We think the whole society and world is is, is going down to the pit of hell. And we're just hunkered down, waiting for the end to God just to close up shop. Is that God's plan? Is it that the candle is just going to go down and down and down and then just flicker? And is, is that God's plan for the world? Back to that missionary hymn, O oh, Father who sustained them, O oh, Spirit who inspired Savior, whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on thine errand send us to labor for thy sake. I want to see every church burdened for Jewish mission, that which burdened the Bonners and McShane and John Rabbi Duncan. I want to see every church prayerful. I know you are, and you've been praying for Christian witness to Israel. I I appreciate that. I want to see churches in the mission fields of New York and South Florida and Los Angeles and Philadelphia. 600,000 South Florida, half a million on the West Coast in L.A., 250,000 in Philadelphia. Every major city in the U.S. has a Jewish community. Church, what are we doing? I want to see this mission from the church, through the church, to the church. We're working on a reprint of a book by John Ross, Time for Favor, Scottish Missions to the Jews. Uh, Some of you might know Michael Morales from Greenville Seminary, and I I lent the book to him and his response, and, and this was a quote. He said, I want this book in the hands of every seminary student and every pastor I know the Scottish missions to the Jews, the Scottish burden, the biblical burden that was the burden of the Westminster divines. Oh, if Michael Morales can get his wish, and we're trying to do that reprint, and we can get it into the hands of the seminary students and the hands of every pastor to get a sense that those bricks have fallen off and they need to be grafted on again. We want to assist in the skills. We want to restore a sense of Jewish mission. Finally, we want to look at the immensity of their inclusion as we read of it in verses 11 through 15. Let me just be briefly on this. Paul writes of a full inclusion, verse 12. And he writes of verse 15, life from the dead. Did they stumble to fall Beyond recovery, Matthew Henry writes, had God no other end in rejecting them than their destruction? In other words, was it God's plan that that, that they will miss their Messiah and He'll just destroy them? Did He do that with Adam? Adam messed up, and yet God promised, I'm going to send one to crush the serpent. Does He do it with those who mess up? No, because of the mercy of our triune God. Let's yield to Calvin again on verse 11. Calvin says this, Having before connected a sure ruin with blindness, He now gives hope of rising again. And in verse 15, Calvin says, Since then God has wonderfully drawn forth life from death and light from darkness. How much more we ought to hope He reasons. That the resurrection of a people, holy dead, will bring life to the Gentiles. These are dry bones. I spoke to some on the streets of Pittsburgh just last week. They're very, very dry. But preach to the bones and pray for the wind. And God is able to graft them in and bring life from the dead. John Owen has a footnote to Calvin. He says this, The restoration of the Jews unto God's favor will occasion the revival and spread of true religion throughout the whole Gentile world. This was the Puritan hope. The immense inclusion would be an inspiration to world mission and even world revival. And in a small measure, McShane and others saw that in Dundee as they went off to bless Israel. And when they're away, revival comes to Dundee, Scotland, and elsewhere. As we fail to grasp the power and the plan, so we're failing to grasp the immensity of what is promised here. Riches for the Gentiles. Riches for the Gentiles. Well, millions of saved Gentiles have come from their failure. But what about greater riches? There's an immensity to this. Again, when he's writing in the first century, the world was in total darkness. What was Paul's, uh, even Paul's ancestors in in 1000 B.C. as, as they were praying in Psalm 67 for the nations to know the God of Israel and His salvation. But that would go forth and there would be light to the Gentiles. And there would be riches for the Gentiles and riches for the new world. And here we are. Did Paul see any of this? He would be amazed at the immensity now of the inclusion of the Gentiles. But life from the dead is promised. Is that Israel's spiritual resurrection or is that world revival? Commentators have spoken on different things uh, about those two things. Does it mean that that Israel will rise from the dead or is it that that, uh, through Israel's restoration, There will be world revival and and the Puritan hope and even those who um, in the Great Awakenings were thinking that was what God was doing in terms of world revival. But again, I I yield to Hodge. Great events are foretold, but the mode of their occurrence, their details, their consequences can only be learned by the event. We'll know it when we know it, and that's good enough for me but let's see the immensity of it in these verses. But if indeed it is Israel's restoration that will spark world revival, then this unfinished task is of vital importance as we look for God to build His church. Lacking skills, lacking sense, lacking sight. Just briefly in conclusion, it's my desire to inspire it's my desire to challenge, to equip, to assist here in the U.S. And also around the world, 42% lives in the U.S., 45% lives in the land of Israel. And I'll, I'll show and tell a little bit about uh, the work of HaGefen ministry um, after, after dinner. But just one little thing for your prayers, HaGefen Publishing, my colleague David Zadok, who's uh, uh, coming over, as I think I said, to it, coming over to Arkansas in the fall, and David is heading up that publications of solid Reform literature in modern Hebrew. It's being translated, it's being printed, Cwi North America, and we are your arms in this. We have actually be- paid for the publication of our sea scrolls, the holiness of God in modern Hebrew. We're engaged in this because Ear is engaged with them. All of the Ligonier uh, resources are now available to Haggaff ministries to put subtitles in their videos and, and translate into modern Hebrew. What an impact that that will be for the believers in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel. These are the, 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 this is the sight. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious, yes, of Christ, but Christ showing mercy afresh to His Blood brothers, the Jewish people. I really need to fix that hole in my garage. It would complete my otherwise incomplete wall. But first, I need to take away the boxes. I need to see the task unfinished, and then I need to do it. We need to see the debt, the duty. God's power, and God's plan, and then rejoice in the immensity of what is promised here in Scripture, the inclusion. Let's learn the skills, gain the sense, gain the sight, and then let's do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the wondrous mercy in the gospel that has come to us, Goyim. Though we were strangers, though we were far off, though we were dead, yet You made us alive. And Lord, we pray that we may not be arrogant because we have received what they have lost, but rather it will be our desire to bring back to those who under God brought the message across seas and oceans to bring their Jewish Messiah to a Gentile world. And may we now return and pay back our debt, our duty. And God, grant, even though we lack sight, sense, skills, grant us such. Above all, grant us a sight of who You are and what You are able to do for Your glory as You show forth and and send us forth with the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And we will give You all praise and all glory now and evermore.